From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Joanna Barsh is a director emerita at McKinsey & Company and president of the Centered Leadership Project. She has deep experience leading growth strategy, performance improvement, organizational effectiveness, and most important to us on this show, leadership development and growth as a person. Joanna has worked closely with Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In organization, the International Council on Women's Business Leadership. She's authored two best-selling books, How Remarkable Women Lead and Centered Leadership. And her latest is Grow Wherever You Work, Straight Talk to Help with Your Toughest Challenges. It is great, really practical and useful for people at all stages of life and career, but especially for young people. So now, get ready to listen and learn from Joanna Barsh's wise advice, including some given to a couple of the folks who who called into the radio show, about what happens if things don't go the way you want them to, in spite of all that positive thinking and networking that you've been doing. And She'll also help you figure out how to answer the question that The Clash, the wonderful rock group from the 70s, the question that they posed to the world, should I stay or should I go? Now, it's Joanna Barsh. Joanna. Yeah. Welcome to Work and Life. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to uh, be there by phone. I'm in sunny Tucson. You're in sunny Tucson? Well, I am in beautiful West Philadelphia uh, <laughs> on the, the wonderful campus of the University of Pennsylvania where you went to school. Yes, and I loved it, I got to say. What did you study when you were here? I studied English literature and fine arts. I know that's not your typical career uh, booster, uh, but it's what I had wanted to do at the time. And as you know, the 1970s, were the time when you did what you wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to college in the 70s, and I was an English and psychology major. And here I am, a professor at the, at the business school for the yeah. last 30, almost five years. Uh, our, our careers take us in directions that we might not always anticipate, don't they? They do. And in, in fact, uh, zigging and zagging is one of the most important things that uh, you can do as a young person, and I think a lot of millennials are doing it. Well, let's talk about that. Um, You've had a long and successful career doing research on on leadership and success and then helping others to lead and to succeed. You've also been uh, a keen observer of how women in particular can thrive at work. So before we get into your latest book on, on Grow Wherever You Work, Straight Talk to Help You to help with your toughest challenges, grow wherever you work. Such an important idea captured really succinctly. I'd like to just spend a minute on your earlier work, How Remarkable Women Lead. 
especially in the times that we are living in right now. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's a remarkable time. Uh, as you know, just last year at the inauguration and immediately after, we had women marching en masse in Washington, uh, now speaking up as the Me Too movement and the reckoning that has, that has you know, in, in its wake has, has really changed the, the nature of relationships uh, of men and women in the workplace. What do you see happening right now for women at work? Yeah, so I think a couple of things are going on. Number one, we have reached the end of an S-curve. What that means is that companies have become aware of the need to advance women. Uh, The country has become aware of the mismatch pay, pay inequality, of the issues that are holding women back at work. And yet women are at work in record numbers. Mm -hmm. And in fact, women are graduating, as you know, college and grad schools in record numbers Mm -hmm. and entering the workforce. So all of that has been going on for the last 10, 20, 30 years. And we've got to where we've got, which is essentially the middle of the talent pipeline. So explain what you mean, though, by the end of the S-curve. What does yeah, that so Translate that for our listeners. Yeah. Um, a short digression, an S-curve is uh, what happens when companies innovate and make something new come to market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's fantastic and it's new and there's meteoric growth and, you know, rah, 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 everybody's excited. And then, boom, everything levels off. And you kind of go, well, I had it in red, and now I made it in blue, and I got 2% more sales, but what do I do next? Mm -hmm. And after a while, if you don't innovate again, you start to decline. Mm -hmm. I think that's where we are. That's the first factor, that we've been innovating, and women have, in fact, been doing amazing things, as have companies, to try to help women advance at work. The second thing that's happening is we are living in an age of disruption. We're living... And a time, and I'm not even going to be political about this, whether you're red or blue, we're living in a time where people say what they want to say. And some of it is raw. Some of it's not right for polite society or for any society. Uh, But that's what's happening. And in the context of that, women are starting finally to come together to say Mm -hmm. we can be a force. We can be a block. We can make things happen. We have agency. And gosh, it's really exciting. It's liberating when women come together to do something like run for office, for mm-hmm. political office. Mm-hmm. Which is happening in greater numbers now. It is. Uh, so where, where do you see things going uh, now I, I think for the that, next you know, couple it, of years? It could be good. It could be bad, too. But I actually, I'm an optimist. I think it's going to be good. Uh, and uh, there is going to be a little bit of up and down, and people are going to feel awful for a while, and there even could be a greater disruption that we are not even aware of around the corner. But in general, I think there are going to be breakthroughs at work for women and for leaders to behave more like centered leaders, for leaders to be more aware of the long term, to start to take better care of their customers, their employees, their whole ecosystem, not just their shareholders. They're going to be leaders who are more in touch with the humanity of the organization. And that's a big shift. That happened with women coming into power. Mm -hmm. Not that women are any better at men than being humanists, Mm -hmm. but that women were bringing in large number new 
criteria, new characteristics to leadership, like wanting to have meaning. Mm-hmm. All millennials, all human beings want to have meaning at work. They just, a lot of older people said, I'm not going to get it here, so that's okay. It's a game. Women don't see it as a game because it's really important to have purpose. Well, now, you as you said, and as, as uh, my research and what a lot of other people have, have observed and what we've talked quite a bit on the show about over the last few years is that both young men and women are um, striving for work that is indeed meaningful in terms of its positive impact on our on, on helping to heal our broken world uh, and, and to create to great real real social value. Agreed. And the interviews with young men under the age of 40, let's call it, um, totally supports that point. Mm-hmm. What's, what's even, I think, more uh, important is facing emotion and recognizing the power that emotion plays at work. Mm-hmm. So fear runs through a company like a contagion, like the flu. And so does happiness and love. And creativity and innovation need people to feel open and comfortable and happy in order for them to take the risk to put a new idea out there. So if companies want to grow, they need leaders who are more cognizant of the emotions that their people are feeling and also that they themselves are feeling. That, to me, is a big change that women have also brought to work. For sure. And if we could just stay on what is so current in the conversation today about what is largely referred to as the reckoning, the 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 coming to grips with the abuses of power that uh, that men have um, have have used uh, against women in sexual harassment and oppression in and in, in various forms that that is no longer acceptable and it is being called out and is and and, and men are paying the price how and this is uh in in some ways the fruition of, of those trends that you were just describing yes. so if, if you take a step back abuse of power is essentially tied to thinking that work is a zero-sum game a competition mm-hmm. in which i have to win at any cost. And when I do win, that means I must be better than everybody else because I have won. And indeed, when you shift from competition, winner take all, Mm -hmm. to more of a cooperative, collaborative, more feminine kind of environment, both men and women uh, benefit. It's not just women who are being abused, that men are being abused differently. Mm-hmm. The women are being abused in an unconscionable way, but men are also being put down and made to feel small and worthless. And that's, you know, a form of what Professor Bob Sutton calls certified assholes. So certified mm-hmm. asshole behavior is just a cleaner version of a sexual abuse harasser. Yes, and Bob has been on the show. We've, we've talked about his uh, remarkable work and his uh, great advice for how to how to deal uh, in a world where there are assholes out there who are abusive, uh, both men and women, and and men and women suffering uh, as a result of that. I think it's chapter six in the book is basically what do you do when you're working with, and my publisher made me call it an office villain, but we're talking about abusers Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and awful people, but also creeps and jerks, Mm -hmm. the more benign form of this, which is you're working with a colleague who has sharp elbows, 
and you know it, he or she drains your energy and suddenly you don't even want to be there anymore because the person is just a jerk and what do you do about it well so, so what, what's your take on that and then i want to step back and get some of the uh the origins of, of this research and what, what led you to it but sure. but, but so my take on it is first to the first thing you need to do is be self-aware. You need to understand what's happening to you and why something is being triggered in you. Because there are jerks and there are abusers, and there really is a difference between the two. A jerk is what's the probably difference? a regular human being most days of the week and is just having a bad day, a bad week, or essentially a bad marriage. <laughs> so you, you have to know the difference. The second thing you have to do is recognize whether that's a human being that you're learning from and can work, can work with, can actually have impact with, or whether this is absolutely not the case and your life is just becoming smaller and darker. Mm. If that's the case, then withdraw. Withdraw. Withdraw by horizontal moves out mm-hmm. of the area that you're working in, mm-hmm. or if you have to, finally, be ready to quit and then call, the, call it. Call it. When you go to HR... You may find they're not on your side. That's the awful reality of a lot of workplaces where HR is protecting the interests of the company. Mm -hmm. And they may not, in fact, be your interests in this particular situation. So you do need to find your own allies, get your own support network together. And when you do that, you may find that you can fix the situation at work for yourself and others, or you can't. And if you can't, then it's time to leave. So do you think, and that indeed echoes what, what Sutton uh, would advise for sure. So, um, and, and it, it sometimes is the, the path that one has to take to simply retreat. If, if, uh, if you can't change the it's, situation, you, know, you it, have to yeah, leave it. I think it's a really good path. And I have to say, when I was 25, I was working in retail for a boss who was a sadist. And I, for, for a year and a half, uh, was working there, and I had a bloody nose almost every day at a different time. An actual day. bloody nose being from, like, internally? Uh, from the stress. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. I would just be serving a customer or changing the inventory, and then, boom, bloody nose. And so I didn't quit. I didn't quit, and that was the wrong thing for me to do. I stuck you it left. out, and this woman took great so pleasure. So why'd you stay? Why did I stay? Because nobody said to me that quitting was an option. Um. I didn't even think it was an option. Because you know what what we were raised with? Don't be a quitter. Mm -hmm. So I assumed it was failure to walk out of there. But I ultimately Mm -hmm. had a mentor, went to see him, Mm -hmm. and he said, I'm getting you transferred. This is enough. It's enough. Mm -hmm. And I got transferred to another department, which was delightful. And after that, I went to business school because that was the way that I could figure out how to get out of the situation altogether forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so today, I think if you read this chapter, you rec- come to recognize that quitting is not about being a loser or a failure or a quitter. Quitting is about protecting yourself mm-hmm. and creating a situation where you can learn and grow and contribute more. Uh, why did you write this book, The Cap of Your Trilogy, if I can call it that? <laughs> yeah, I, it's not a, Lord of the Rings, yeah. but... It is, <laughs> it is a, a very, trilogy. There's a very clear reason I wrote this book. And it is that I had spent over 10 years talking to CEOs, uh, starting with women. Uh, the first couple hundred interviews were with women and then men, and understanding what it's like to get to the top, be at the top, lead an organization. 
And then when I turned to the youngest men and women at McKinsey, and primarily women, they said to me, I can't see the path from here where I sit to where they are. And mm-hmm. in fact, when I look at them, I don't even want to be like them. Wait, I so mean, that's two separate know, things, uh, right? So they can't see the path. What, like, why not? You know what jobs this person had, so why can't you see the path? Like, what, what, yeah, was, so what, was blind, so what were they a, blind the to? I'm sorry? The world changed. Mm. So this path that this man or woman took to get to be CEO no longer exists. Mm -hmm. There isn't job security in my company. I can't really just put my head down for the next 25 years and then show back up as a CEO. I don't really like the politics I learned. And a lot of young people said, I don't even have passion for this. And I don't know how to get passion about this. And then I thought long and hard and said, let's not just assume that everybody walks around with passion all the time. In fact, that might be a bad piece of advice to say to people, follow your heart. What does that really mean? Hmm. For my own kids who are millennials, who are pondering this topic as we speak. Mm -hmm. I've got three who are 30, 27, and and 24 as well. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just echoing that I have three who are uh, 30, 27, and, and 24, so I, I can relate. Yeah. Uh, so so you, re- you wrote this for your, your children. I did, and for the two, over 200 young people who I interviewed <laughs> who are fantastic human beings. So you were saying, though, that they, uh, they were questioning, well, what if I don't have passion? What, what does that mean for me? Yeah. And, and what, you know, what did I you discover it? about do that? Do I go? How do I get passion? Hmm. Like, can I buy it? You know, where, where do people get it? Isn't there an app for that? <laughs> Is there an app for that? Exactly. But, but seriously, what, what did you discover about how people deal with the question of, I don't really feel passionate about what it is that I'm pursuing here. What do I do now when I'm being told I must feel passionate? So the first thing is chill, because uh, nobody at work has a right to say to you, you know, put some more flair on and let's have a smile on your face and show up with passion. But they do expect to see sparkle in your eye and fire in your belly to do good work. Mm -hmm. So if you can't do that, then we're back to the first point, which is should I stay or should I go? But let's assume you can. You actually are getting skills. You're learning something. You're making a contribution. You don't really give a damn about it, though. So what I do suggest people do in that case, and I actually practice on my daughters, is to go back into your life, as young as you have to go, five, six years old, and really remember times where you were filled with positive energy. When you put your finger on those times, you literally play the memory and ask yourself, what is it I truly value about myself in this moment? Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is that that positive energy and what you value is the beginning of passion, which is your strength. Mm -hmm. So take that and treasure it. Mm -hmm. You have a strength. You have many strengths. And if you're not bringing those to work every day, it's pretty hard to feel energized about anything. So start to bring those to work every day. You know, I was a uh, step in that direction. I, I just came from my class, the opening class of my total leadership course here at the Wharton School, which is an elective for our MBAs, and uh-huh. uh, spent half of the class on the very thing that you just described, where people had written about uh, the critical episodes in their life histories and how those shaped their values and beliefs, and then they described those episodes or those aspects of their history and 
and how they learn from those events and uh, and and uh, the people in them what really mattered to them. And exactly. It was exactly. really it's a, it's such a riveting uh, series of um, displays from these twenty seven year olds to each other about how different they all are, how everyone comes at you know, the game of life from a different point of view with different experiences, but that everyone has a story that taps ultimately into something that is core to them and, and that it's possible to unearth it. It's just you have to do the work of getting there. I love that. And it, it actually means that each of your students inspired the next one. Exactly. People are so much more inspiring when they're clued into who they truly are and what matters to them. And that's actually the beginning of the journey towards purpose. Mm-hmm. As you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we also ask people to do what I do, which is to interview everybody and anybody about what turns them on about work. Hmm. Because you may not see it yourself, but you can see it in other people. And that might give you ideas. And there's nothing wrong with just going on a journey to meet another 60 to 100 people to find out what gets them excited to go to work. That's a great idea. What do people discover when they, when they go on those uh, so learning there, journeys. There's uh, one woman, uh, and she wanted a disguise name, Sophie, I think I called her, okay. in the book, in the first chapter. She ended up saying, oh, my God, I'm in finance, but I want to be a broadcast journalist. Easy. And I don't mind not making money and <laughs> traveling all the time and all the hardship that comes with that uh-huh. because it truly, truly excites me. She literally shifted careers. Six, you know, a bunch of interviews later. It took her six months of hard work to find the job. It took her a few months to convince them to give her the job. And then it took a year or two to convince them that she was really worth her medal. And she's insanely happy. That's, a, that's one of those, you know, one in a thousand stories. Most people sort of bumble their way here and there into it. And it can take years. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I started being in retail because my mother was a painter turned uh, clothing designer and I didn't know what to do with an English degree, went to business school and everybody at business school was trying to become a consultant, which I had no clue what that meant. Hmm. So, so you I spent 30 years at McKinsey. Yeah. 30 <laughs> years later, I said, hmm, this is a pretty good job for me. So how did, <laughs> how did you get from, from, from there to there? How did I get from where to where? Well, from English major, no clue, to uh, business school and, and uh, a, a, a fruitful life and career in the world of consulting. I was really lucky. I, list, I ask a lot of questions and listen to a lot of people. And in this case... What you advise your, your, <laughs> your, your people yep. coming up after you to do? I better take At, my own medicine. If well, you not, did it. Who, who am I, really? Who Just am another I? Another shaman. The... Um, mm-hmm or I should have said tonic salesman. The, um, my stepfather said to me when I was in my mid-20s, I was pretty unhappy, and he said, well, why don't you go to business school? And I said, what's that? Mm-hmm. This was, you know, 1978, 79. He said, you should go to business school. Look into it. So I looked into it, and I got in, and I went, and I had no clue the first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really interesting. I was really interested in business, but not a specific business. I was interested in all the ideas and all of the challenges and all the problems and the mishaps. And it was like reading Jane Austen. It was (laughs) the same thing. I don't know if you feel that way, but every business case was another, a new story for me. A drama. And half the time I couldn't even do the analysis because I didn't know the math, but I did know the people and I could come to an answer by, by developing intuition. 
So I have, well, I have you used your strengths. math skills and an extraordinary intuition. You, you used your strengths. You were able to yeah. uh, to to focus on on. Well, dare I and say, I married you, a mathematician, which was not a bad idea. But you you, you tapped into what some people might call your passion, Joanna. <laughs> right, unknowingly. <laughs> right, but but you you got there. Yes, everybody who wants to get there will get there in the end. My calling, truly, which only began in two thousand and four, and I'm still at it, is to help women and now millennial men and women step into leadership. Because I truly believe that if you put the right people in the lead, then the rest will get better. And you mentioned at the start of this show, you know, the world is broken. We need people willing and able to fix it. We sure do. And it turns out that I'm really a teacher. I am not the leader in that sense. I'm mm-hmm. the thought leader. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have to accept my limitations, but also... I have to be bold and courageous enough to go with what I meant to do, and that is to uh, to be bold. I was just in the United Arab Emirates speaking to men and women about women leaders. Hmm. I was in Saudi Arabia a few years ago telling a bunch of princes that women needed to drive, and look! Hey, so Joanna, yeah. um, first, why did you call the book what you called it? <laughs> Thanks for asking. The, the original title of this book, if I can say it on your air, is No Bullshit. And oh, dear. I wanted to write oh, a book. You've, you've offended my sensibilities, Joanna. <laughs> I wanted to write a book that had no bullshit, meaning uh-huh. no cute hallmark sayings, no follow your heart, no uh, advice that, you know, parents and grandparents give us and we don't want to hear it. I wanted honest talk. And it took me a very long time because the publisher said, nah, we're not going to use that title. Sorry about that. Mm. So it took a, a while for me to find the answer. And through all of the interviews, I mined data from two, over 200 interviews with rising leaders under the age of 40, and then another over 50 interviews with HR experts. Uh-huh. And what I learned is that young people want to grow. They don't want those stupid words like opportunity and, you know, fake words that we've all overused. They just want to grow. So don't tell me that there's a development path here. I don't know what you mean by that. I also don't trust that you're going to actually deliver to me. Mm -hmm. But I deserve, I have a right to grow. And that's what I want. So that's the first part of the book. And then the second part of the book is wherever you work, because I know the truth is, you're probably not going to stay at your job for 10 or 15 years. Some of you will, but the odds are you won't mm-hmm. because you won't get the growth that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. The company may not have the opportunity that you deserve, even though you're making a great contribution. So wherever you work, you should be able to grow. All right. And that's, of course, true for anybody at any life or career stage. But it's a particular interest, a burning question for young people and a necessary one for them to be asking. So what did you discover? What are the essential ideas or principles, the no bullshit, Joanna, about what it is uh, for someone to grow wherever they are working? Yeah. So the first the first insight, which kind of hits you on the side of the head, and I bet you teach this in your class, is self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, the reason there is no advice that fits everybody is that we're all different, and Yay. we're different in pretty important ways. So mm-hmm. knowing, knowing yourself, 
the, the good, the bad, and the ugly without judgment. So a lot of people are pretty self-aware, and they spend every day striving for perfection or shaming themselves and feeling guilty because they didn't work hard enough and they didn't get a good enough grade or they didn't uh, beat out the other person at work. And that part has to stop. That's really hard to stop. So, How do you help people to stop that? Because that is indeed... I mean, again, that was half the conversation in my class, my opening class today is uh-huh. is it an awareness that everyone's different, which was the mantra in our house raising uh, our three kids. Everyone's different. Everyone's different. Everyone needs something different. Everybody wants something different. And recognizing that is just an essential aspect of how we can function as a society, of course. Uh, but to the more micro concerns of people trying to figure out uh, – what it means for them to be self-aware. How do you help them with that? So part of it is dissecting what's happening to you at work and what's happening inside you Mm -hmm. physically, Mm -hmm. in your body, where are you feeling what you're feeling, mentally, are you learning, are you contributing, Uh, emotionally, are you making connections with people or not, even spiritually, is what you're working on, does it matter? Does it matter to you or anybody mm-hmm. around you? Mm-hmm. And knowing, just knowing that is already the first step. It's a huge then step. not judging yourself, which is, I've got um, a wonderful older millennial uh, daughter who um, self-judges, so I'm sure I'm to blame for that, uh, for being one of the two parents, but uh, nonetheless. You're, you're judging yourself right yeah, there, Joanna. Uh, you're absolutely right, Stu. So <laughs> what do we work on? We work on saying, I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. I messed up. I made a mistake. I got a bad review. My review is not as good as the next person's review. Mm-hmm. What, what, it doesn't matter. What can I learn from that? So when you shift from blame to learning, from protection, I don't want to talk about it, to openness, because I might actually learn something or make a stronger connection, now you're cooking with gas. This actually helps you get somewhere. I can't tell you where, but I can tell you that that's already better than sitting by yourself and, and uh, uh, turning inward, and mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. So learn to learn, which means not just going to school, but it means some crap happened at work, then have a conversation. Help me understand. From your point of view, how did you see it? What could I have done better? What did I do in your mind that was good? Oh, but then I'll appear weak, some might fear. Ah, you only appear weak when you hold it all in and when you are in 100% protection mode. Then you are weak because now you're afraid to try anything new Mm -hmm. because you might fail. Carol uh, Dweck wrote the book Mindset, which I really love. Yes, very important. Talks about that. Growth mindset. uh, With children, but it works with 25-year-olds. It works with Mm 60-year-olds, for goodness sakes, that when we move out of learning into trying to be perfect, we just shut down. So that's the, is that the essential idea? The core is to be open to learning and to, to take the, the risk of vulnerability to actually become stronger by being open to uh, discovery about what went wrong and what could be better in the future? Yes. In addition, uh, connection. Mm-hmm. Even the person who gave you the bad review or told you you effed up, that person is a connection. You mean somebody told you you fucked up? Yeah, there oh, you go. We can't say there that you, here. Okay, we can say that. That's <laughs> yes. so cool. Okay. So, 
I mean, it, there is a fuck-up that happens at work pretty much every week, right? Mm-hmm. And that you regret on Friday night when you go out with friends. And some of us go out to the bar and regret it for a very long time until we're no longer standing on our feet. That's not necessarily the best way to handle it. But mm-hmm. actually going to the person and saying, okay, I get it. I did it. I'm not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. Please. I hope you forgive me. But also, I want to learn from you. You can create an even stronger connection, and that means you will learn faster, you will contribute more, and work will be a heck of a lot more fun. And, of course, anybody can do this, right, Joanna? Yes. I mean, it's not well, like it's the exclusive province of... You some of, ambition. I'm, I'm sorry, say it again? You have to start with some ambition. Hmm. You, if you have no ambition, you're probably not in business school or you're not uh, trying to become a rising leader, or you're not a leader, if you have no ambition at all other than to bring that paycheck home and to keep your head down, you probably don't want to do all these things because it just means complexity and drama and growth. It is more growth is painful. Yeah, it's going to be painful. It's not always painful. It's also more exciting, frankly. It's more energizing, but it, it's, it's more work. Hmm. So what are the what are the questions that people come to you most with when you're out there speaking? What what is it that you hear most frequently from your clients and audiences? What, what's what's the burning question out there? The the, uh, the biggest one is probably should I stay or should I go? Hmm. Um, and I'd say the second biggest one is uh, my boss is in my way and I'm feeling blocked. And I'm really angry and upset about that. So what do I do? All right. So if you're listening, are you pondering the question of should I stay or should I go? Uh, which is, I'm sure, a reference to the clash. Yes. Right. Uh, and <laughs> I would sing it, except I'm toneless. <laughs> ah. Well, maybe we can have our sound engineer Tatiana Zamis get uh, the clashes. Should I stay or should I go to to get to get us going here in the second, the last part of our of our show. Um, and the other, uh, you know, is your boss in your way? What, what are you doing about that problem, or what can you do? Is that so? Those are two big ones that you hear a lot. Um, Theron, you've got uh, that question. And then, uh, as for a young person, another one, yeah, which I love is nobody's sponsoring me. So how do I? I hear all about this. How do I go get one? Okay. So what do you tell them, Barb? What's the, what's the essential idea that people need to keep in mind? First, that it's not a failure to leave if you're doing it consciously. Right, and you need to do a real assessment of what are your, what are your degrees of freedom at work and mm-hmm. what are you actually learning and what are you actually contributing. Mm-hmm. Because if the answer is, I am learning, I just don't like it, then it's a different decision path, then I'm not learning anything and I'm not even contributing very much. So you got to ask that that tough no bullshit question, right? Is yeah. this is this a place where I am discovering new things about who I am and what I can be in the future, and am I making a difference here in a way that I feel good about? I love the fact that some of the stories people waited and really good things happened to them, and in other stories people waited and nothing happened, and so they quit. What what do you love <laughs> What do you love about that? What did well, that What did that teach you? There's no one answer, right? I'm, the mm. hallmark thing to do is to say, Susie, you just wait long enough, and good things will happen to you. Well, the answer is not always. That's not always the case. No. And do I have to wait ten years for something good to happen to me? I'm I don't. I'm out of time. Mm. The reason young people are out of time 
is they are living in a much more uncertain world where there is no job security. So you can't tell somebody that advice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have to make the assessment, what's happening in my world, and am I putting myself into it, or am I just being triggered in this situation? Am I having a bad month? Yeah. All right. Well, we've got Will calling from North Carolina. Will, welcome to Work and Life. Oh, hey, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Tell us, what's uh, what's your situation? How can we help you? All right, so um, I'm in a situation where I'm, I have the qualifications and the experience to, you know, pursue leadership roles. But at the same time, I'm, I'm in technology. So, like, um, but I, I keep running into situations where I'm, where I'll get in a place and I'm doing the things that's necessary to get promoted and try to move, you know, even make lateral movements and things like that. But I just feel like it's like, like nobody's, for one, nobody's getting out the way and there's no opportunity hmm. to advance in leadership. So, mm-hmm. like, I was trying to find out, you know, what do you do when she says grow where you are, like, I want to know, like, okay. you know, I wanted to expand on that. All right. Well, Joanna, uh, yeah. how can, what, what so do you want to know more I, about from Will? That's a fabulous question, by the way. Mm-hmm. Fabulous question, because I don't know how well connected you are in your place of work, not just with the colleagues on your own team, but on other teams that are um, in business and also at other levels. So how many levels up? Are you getting to know people? And do you have sponsors? So sponsors are different than mentors. If you have sponsors, you'll know it, because these are people who will push you out of the plane to give you stretch opportunities at work, but they're also advocates for you. They're also, they want to help you navigate, and they want you to get to the top because they truly believe in you. It's very hard to do it without Sponsors. So how do you get them if you don't have them? So if you don't have them... If I can ask on Will's behalf. Yeah, Will. You look right, yeah, one level up, so one or two levels up, depending on how big your company is, and you start to befriend people who have seen your work, who know you're a good guy, and who do believe in you, and you start by saying, hey, I'd like to get a cup of coffee, and just think in general with you about you know what skills I should be gaining, what experiences I should be gaining. I'm pretty excited about this company, and I'd like to get your take on all of this. And I love your advice. So people love to give advice. They also love to talk about themselves. So asking questions, how did you do it, really gets the other person going. And cultivating that over time so that mm-hmm. people know where you're coming from, know what it is you would like to accomplish, and what you want to contribute in that company, they'll help you navigate. Without what, that, it's like being in a forest. What do you think, Will? Does this make sense to you? Is this something you can act on? It makes a lot of sense, and that's something something that I haven't I can't I haven't been doing at a high level, I guess, because I'd be I guess I'm more concerned about like trying to do my job right and working. Yep. But you know, to see yeah, sparkers, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense, actually. It makes a lot of sense. And it doesn't have to take a lot of time. And I would suggest, and I think Joanna would agree with me, that, and tell me if I, if not, Joanna, that this is a part of your job. Yes. You're, you're figuring out how you can make a better contribution in the future is something that your, com- your company, consciously or not, wants you to do. 
because you're not you're not hanging out shooting the shit about uh, you know the game. You're actually talking about the business and about the projects that you're all working right. on together. So that's a really important part of your job to have relationships with people because in the future, when you get that next challenging project, uh, you'll know who to call because you'll know what all these people bring to the table. And again, it's useful to keep the you know the focus, the initial focus, especially on here's you know here are some ideas that I have. How did you get to where you are? And these are the kinds of things that I'd like to contribute. So you're, as Joanne is saying, talking about your contribution and how you can learn more about how to make it. People, do, right? So I hope that you're able to pursue that. Will. Yes, sir. I definitely am, and I appreciate you all's help. Well, all right. Thank you. So, Joanna, one of the things that is a, a constant focus on our show here is about work and the rest of life. How? What, what are you discovering about how uh, young people, uh, young women especially, are thinking about that general question these days and how they are construing their, their work in the context of their whole lives? Yeah. Work and life, I've watched that come around, go around, and now there's uh, young people who say, wait a minute, I love the way I operated in college. I have seven days a week. Some of the time I'm doing what I need to be doing for my health Mm -hmm. or my avocations, and some of the time I'm doing what I need to be doing at work, and I really work best, by the way, at 10 o'clock at night, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to be doing a lot of that stuff at night. Um, which means that at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'd really like to be doing something else. So there is this fluidity today that Mm -hmm. young people want that companies are tentatively experimenting with. Mm -hmm. I've um, run into one incredible company, which is very small. It's a technology company called Automatic. I don't know if you know them. They're the owners of WordPress, which is a blogging uh, platform mm-hmm. and they they are entirely re- remote. There are there are no offices in Automatic, and they have over 600 people around the world who work for them. Mm-hmm. So everybody's remote. By the way, that's not like everybody's paradise. Some people want to work in an office where they can be with well, people because you know, there's energy from it. Joanna, um, it's interesting that you raise that because we have a caller here uh, who I think has got an issue related to just that question. Okay. So so hang on one second. Lauren, uh, calling from Maryland, uh, tell us, what is your situation? How can we help? Hi. So I've been with my company for 13 years, and um, during that time, I actually finished my degree, and it's in a field of study that I'm actually not um, working in at the organization. Okay. And, and also during that time, we transitioned to work from home roles. Right. So I don't actually get that face-to-face camaraderie with some of the folks that are in the career path mm-hmm. on, the, you know, on the way up because I work from home now. So I'm trying to figure out what kind of suggestions you guys have okay. for promoting your career forward when you work from home. And to make it a little bit more complicated, you're looking for a sort of field focus change within your organization. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, uh, Joanna, we only have like another minute and a half or so, so I'm going to have to ask you to keep it brief and, and to the first point about – how do, you, how do you deal with all this stuff working from home? Yeah, so, Lauren, you're going to have to make a video dates with people you don't know yep. to talk to them and get their advice uh, because it's pretty hard to travel to wherever they're working from. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And I think okay. you should reach out to the people who share the interests that you're most interested in, that your new degree is in, and tell them, introduce yourself with your new degree and what you do at the company and ask if they could have 20 minutes to do a video chat with you so that you can learn from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Lauren? I think that's a great idea. Thanks for suggesting it. All right. Uh, thanks for calling Work and Life. Uh, Joanna, um, I want to turn to uh, another topic in our last minute or so here, just a question I'm, I'm planning on asking all my guests this year. It's a resolution I made, and that is about the subject of compassion, which I would like mm-hmm. to see a little bit more of in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm asking you, how do you, like I'm asking all my guests, how do you bring compassion into your work and into your life? What I do uh, is when I talk to somebody who I'm irritated by, I'm upset with, I calm myself down and I think of them as a human being and I wonder what it's like to be them. Hmm. And instead of starting with uh, my problem, I start with curiosity about them. And often what I find is they're actually a really good person who is struggling with something that got in my way. Mm-hmm. But when I see it from their shoes, and the only way to do that, Stu, is to be literally silent as they talk mm-hmm. so that they know I am hearing them. And I, I teach it, and now I practice three minutes of silence when I ask a question to somebody. That wouldn't work on the radio. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, so, but try it in class. Ask each student to talk about to mm-hmm. the next student something that you really, really care about that's upsetting you right now. Mm-hmm. And have the other student literally listen for three minutes. No, you can't even go, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. You can't, you know, like nothing. And what does that Just, teach you when you listen in silence? What happens is you truly go inside that other person and instead of listening from where you are i had the answer to your question you start to listen from where they are and that's compassion and empathy and it it might spark in you uh an idea if you're really listening for how you can help them no yes that is right and i also drop my anger or my frustration or my irritation Mm mm-hmm um, I, pra- I try to practice this with my husband, with my children, with uh, people I work with, uh, and sometimes total strangers, mm-hmm. hmm. just because it's a skill to, to truly listen that deeply. Well, yes, it, it, takes, it takes quite a bit of discipline. Thank you for, for responding so wisely to my question. I really appreciate that. And thank you very much, Joanna, for, for being here this hour. Uh, where can listeners go to learn more about your wonderful work? Great. Well, they can go to joannabarsh.net, uh, and they can uh, go to LinkedIn to find me, and they can go to Twitter to find me on occasion. Uh, but joannabarsh.net, I am uh, reconstituting it, but I want to carry stories there from the, uh, the stories that were not produced in the book, so mm-hmm. new stories. Cool. And I think it would be fun to be part of this community and grow together. Fantastic. Joanna Barsh, thank you so much for joining us on Work and Life. You're welcome, Stu. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joanna Barsh. 
And I now want to offer you a challenge, an invitation to follow up on one of the one of the real nuggets in, in Joanna Barsh's uh, advice, and that is to cultivate relationships with people who are above you in your organization or in your career network, and to put out some invitations uh, to people with whom you would simply like to speak, even if it is just for 15 minutes. Perhaps it's over coffee or a phone call or a video chat. To ask them, how did you get to where you are? What advice do you have for me for how I can best contribute? Here are the things that I'm interested in. Here are the things that I want to learn more about. Here are the things that I want to be able to contribute to. This is how you can cultivate sponsorship, which you need to advance. So try it with even just a couple of people. And what do you discover? My guess is that you will see it's a lot easier than you think and that you have little to lose in investing in this part of your growth as a professional, as a person. Let me know how it goes, what you discover. You can write to me, friedman.wharton.upenn.edu. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm also interested in any ideas that you might have for people that you'd like to hear me talk to on work and life. So if you've got some ideas, share them with me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest, And about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and co-workers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. <music>